you've had some time with the Jesus story, and I've asked you to really immerse yourself in a story because I warned you two weeks ago that we're going to do a story today which has some parallels, but there is something missing. And there is something missing in this story which makes all the difference for us. So, I didn't tell you which story it was going to be, and that was on purpose. You see, I didn't want you to do a side-by-side, back-and-forth little spreadsheet. I wanted you to become immersed in that late addition to the book of John, John chapter 8, about the woman caught in adultery. I, I wanted you to learn it so much that you heard what was missing when you read another story. Here's a story. It's in Luke 7. It starts out uh, already showing me that Jesus is a better man than I because a Pharisee has asked Jesus to come eat dinner with him and his Pharisee buddies. Now, we always make the Pharisees the really bad guys because that's the way they show up in the gospel. But if you're a religious person, we, we would have been right tracking with the Pharisees, most likely, because they were a back-to-the-Bible movement. They were a precision obedience people. And therefore, in, in history, religious history, they're looked more upon as the good guys than the bad guys because they were trying to serve God and they were trying to do it very well, even at their own hurt. But they made some errors. That's not about today, though. Today is, would you, I mean, there ain't no party like a Pharisee party. Would you, would you take that invitation? In Luke 7, one of the Pharisees invited, this is verse 36, Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. By the way, the reclining, if you're younger, you've not studied this, the Romans believed that it was unhealthy for you to stand when you eat, that you would digest better if you were uh, horizontal or at least a bit laying up on one elbow. Now, you, you weren't laying like that around the table. Your feet weren't where the next guy's head was. You were angled, like angled parking as you went around. So there they are. You'd be up on one knee. You'd be eating with your hands. Utensils had not been created. Uh, and if you used in utensils, it was your fingers or bits of bread to scoop up things, which is still the way many, many countries in, in Middle East, Africa, and Asia eat. In fact, far more eat that way than eat with knives and forks and spoons. This is, and, but, no, but if you're a kid, let me just, uh, no, you don't have permission to eat like Jesus did. Um, your mommy and daddy get to overrule uh, on that particular point. Now, there was a woman that lived in town, next verse, who lived a sinful life. All right, now, the first lady, you already noticed, a hoop. She would, they claim she was caught in the act of adultery, and perhaps she was. There, here there is no, no line for question. She lived a sinful life. She heard that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster bar, uh, jar of perfume. Uh, the perfume would have been used in her business as a sex worker. She doesn't have any valuable thing, but she grabs that. Now, let me explain some rules, because you don't really get this chapter unless you know the rules. The Old Testament was replete with ways to feed the poor and take care of the poor. Had we followed the Old Testament, uh, we would have had a welfare system that actually worked. Uh, anything that was extra was given to the poor. Um, a lot of one gen away works off of this, by the way. Anything which is fallen cannot be picked up. It's left for the poor. 
food, uh, other things, you did not harvest your whole field. You were allowed to harvest the center of it. All of the edges and the corners belong to the poor. I could go on. Uh, even the year of Jubilee where all debts are canceled and all land is returned back to who owned it 50 years ago. So nobody gets mega rich and mega poor. There's a 50-year reset. The cities of refuge. I mean, God really had a great system there. Well, there's another system. When you ate, the poor would show up. You eat outside. In your house is shelter, changing clothes, and not much else. A bit of washing. Outside is where you cook. And in fact, even here in Tennessee, if you're driving along, you'll see a pre-war house, an antebellum house, very often will have a smaller house behind it. Most often now they're connected, a little narrow connection to the back. That used to be a separate kitchen. If the kitchen caught on fire, the house didn't. Well, you cooked outside because it was hot. It's, uh, you didn't bring that inside. And you'd make a, a rock or mud oven, uh, and you would then cook there. And so all the poor people knew when a party was coming because you would set up your tables outside as well. There isn't room for that inside unless people are super rich. And John Mark's family was super rich, and it was always talked about went to the home of his mother. It was her home, and it was big. But most weren't. So your tables are outside, and you're eating outside. There would have been a low wall, generally speaking, if you had the money for it, and when I'm, when I'm talking a little wall, I'm talking a very little wall, sometimes just stone markers. The poor were to come and stand along the wall and not disturb you. Then, when you were done, and you were, you were to be generous, and I'm sure this Pharisee was being very generous and putting more on the table than his guests could possibly eat so that the poor could have food. There's no reason to believe anything bad about this guy. So they're all standing there. Rule is, you have to wait until the people get up and adjourn, and then the poor can come. Next verse, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she's left the wall. And we don't think about this because it's not part of our culture. Every first, second, and third generation, uh, century rather, Jewish person, and most Gentiles would have noticed, oh, why is she there? She's not supposed to be there. She's supposed to be back, but he, she's at his feet. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This is an atom bomb going off at this party. We don't really get it because we also don't use the euphemisms they use. I want to stress this because I know how people listen to every third word, and then I get more emails I don't really need. Nothing sexual took place. That said, touching a man's feet was a euphemism for something else. We see it throughout the Old Testament. Think of Ruth, who came to Boaz and uncovered her feet, uh, uh, his feet rather, and he was so amazed that a beautiful woman would want somebody like him, and the next morning says, you need to get away before the dawn breaks. Now, I've, I've had people say, you're saying something sexual happened. Well, no, I'm not. But um, two, three, four thousand years of Jewish history says it did. And that made a marriage. Uh, if you remember, Paul says, if you, if you unite yourself with the body of a sex worker, you have united your soul. It's a covenant. There, was, there were no wedding rules. 
You were married because you said you were. And the community accepted it. So here we have a woman who's approaching Jesus' feet, which to us seems really weird, but to them, that was way too intimate. Even in Middle Eastern countries today, and some others in Asia and the like, you can get stoned and flogged and beaten and killed if you touch a man that's not your husband. We are not seeing much of that in Afghanistan right now because it's not shown here. But if you watch British TV or French TV or other countries' TV, you see them hanging women, flogging women, and killing women. Our media doesn't want, excuse me, want to cover it so it doesn't, but it's happening every day because the um, Taliban is saying you, are, you weren't allowed to be outside the house without a relative and you, didn't, you touched a man that was not related to you and I, that's all it takes. That's what's going on here. And then she's white. Now her hair, women's hair in the Middle East to this very day is her crown and glory. Please remember 1 Corinthians 11 talks about this as well. And to use your hair to wipe somebody's feet and the guy's not related to you, this is, this is front page news in big font. Almost like atom bomb dropped. And it's being done at all places at a Pharisee party. Oh my. There's, there is absolutely nothing she could have done more scandalous than the things she has done and that Jesus could have done by letting it happen. Jesus has an amazing love for people, but he also has an amazing sense of humor, which is about to show up. But not yet. Jesus is letting this play out. Now, when I was growing up, the preachers would always say, well, you know, this, you know, those bad Pharisee people, this woman just needed Jesus, and Jesus loved her back, and that's the sweet story. Okay. What if next Sunday, and by the way, don't show up here and do this. What if next Sunday, I'm, I'm up here preaching, and then walks Boopsie LaRue, uh, fishnet stocking, six-inch heels, teetering, smelling of the weekend, walks up, works her way up. It's a bit step, but she gets here, tottering about, shoves me back in a pew, rips off my shoes and feet, and starts kissing them. Are you guys going to be back there going, oh, praise Jesus? Yes. <laughs> or are you going to say, I knew when we let them use the NIV, it would lead to this? <clears throat> By the way, I'm not insulting you. I would be right there with you going, no, 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 this, no. It's not in the order of worship. Misha gave us an order of worship. That's not on the order of worship. And while I can be quite the Sheldon, my wife says, I do like to keep to the order of worship. So did they. They thought it pleased God, and so they did it, and they offered it unto God. Jesus lets it roll. Simon the Pharisee is dying because he invited this guy. And now all his Pharisee friends, you know, are looking at him. So Jesus answered him. Well, first of all, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Now he's thinking that inside and Jesus answers him, which should have freaked him out a bit. He said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. By the way, I imagine his, his voice did break. 
little, <clears throat> okay. And he even calls him teacher, which I got to give Simon. I mean, the guy has a bit of a spine. He hasn't run screaming and, and overthrown tables and told the Pharisees, get him. He's trying. I like him. Jesus goes on. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. By the way, you know how much a denarii is? Doesn't matter. I've heard, pe I've heard people fight over stuff like this, and I'm going, here's your master's degree and missing the point. But let's get back to the story. <clears throat> it's a lot. It, what, you know, it's 500 of them is what it is. And the other owed 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Did you catch that in the sentence? I suppose. This is a hanging curveball, and Simon could have walked it right up, you know, whacked that thing right over the wall. But because he's a Pharisee, he's confused, and he doesn't know what is happening, he will not commit himself. Maybe. The guy that owed more? Jesus goes, you've judged correctly. Here's one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Then he turned toward the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? <laughs> That's all anybody has seen. <clears throat> For the last, what, half hour, hour, however long this is taking, because Jesus would have let it play out. He, wouldn't have, he did not leap into action. He let it roll. <clears throat> I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. By the way, kids, if you're wondering about this, um, men in many other countries, when they meet, they kiss each other's cheeks and you will see men walking down the street holding hands. It just means that they're friends. Um, in America, they don't do that. And one of the reasons is because many of them are British, which we social distanced a long time ago. And we're very comfortable with it, frankly. And they're, you know, men don't hug, they don't cry, they show no emotion, they hold it inside. And they die in misery in the 50s like they're supposed to how emotion was acceptable there. Uh, you did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. You put oil on the head because you're living in a place where it is super hot. You may or may not have hair. Uh, and to oil your head was to protect it. And by the way, yeah, Jesus could have been bald. We, we don't know. The pictures you've seen of him aren't of him. That was, uh, those, those did not show up until, oh... I, you really can't say the medieval age. They were showing up in the four and the five hundreds, but rarely. And then they took on their current form more like in the 17, 16, and 15 hundreds. So, uh, no. But he said, you didn't take care of, in other words, you didn't take care of me. You didn't show me, you, you gave me food, which is a big thing back in the first century. You are who you eat with. That's a big thing. That Jesus accepted it, that the invitation was given. That's a huge thing. We cannot, we cannot, um, dismiss the friendliness and the love that Simon was showing. And now he feels like it bit him. Have you ever had that happen to you? 
You shown friendship and love, and I came back and bet you? Yeah. Simon's sitting there going, I could have stayed home. Well, I am home, but I could have gone out. <laughs> I could have done something else. He goes, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven loves little. He forgave her. She said, it's already been done. Did she ask for forgiveness? I don't. If, if she did, it's not recorded. But that's not what's missing. Your sins are forgiven. Well, Jesus did that in um, John 8, too. He, he, the way he did there was, I have nothing against you either. As the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, those of you in Texarkana, if you're checking in, you're not allowed to spoil this for the rest of them. Did you see what's not there? In John 8, she was told, go and sin no more. He didn't tell her to change her life. Now, why? There is nothing in here saying that she is to change her life. I would submit to you that there's a very clear reason why that would be true. And that is that she can't. She could be a slave run by her owner to make extra money, and she has no power over that. She could have children and no way to support them, and Jesus knows that there are babies crying at home. And her purity, as important as that is to God, does not trump the crying of the children. Jesus knows her situation and therefore refuses to demand that she come up to his standard or the standard of those in the Pharisee's house. And that's why God set this thing up to happen. was so that the Pharisees understood being a Pharisee is fine. If by being a Pharisee you mean, and most of them did, we study the old law, we want to follow the old law, we want to be pure and acceptable before God. That's fine. That's laudable. Yay you. And I don't say that with irony. I'm seriously, yay you. But what that does not give us is the right to believe that everybody else had the same opportunities we had, the same life we had, the same upbringing we had, the same resources we have, and the same freedoms that we have. Because many of the people you see do not. I can remember, and I'm going to try to make this gentle, and all right, I was looking at the wrong clock. They're both about 10.20 right now. And I was going, okay, 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 gotcha. Uh, there's a countdown clock that I asked for. The AV people didn't. Because uh, I, I have been, this will be a shocker. I've been known to go on a bit. Um, I have a six-year-old grandson that I pushed on the swings yesterday for 35 minutes and 74,000 words. I did not get to use one of mine. I'm, one of these days, Ollie will understand the concept of inner dialogue, but that has not yet hit. And I love it. And my wife and I have decided, you know, Ollie is who Patrick would have been if Patrick had had that opportunity <laughs> as a child. Uh, but I did not. I was, uh, it was a harsh place. I can go on a bit, but I want 
a man that um, we had to come down. He asked to join us when we were living in the Detroit area to feed the homeless. And we had many people who did this. My own father-in-law came down and really learned a lot and saw a lot. But this one man was at the very end. He goes, he goes I'm not trying to be you know, critical. That's always what's, what, what's happening next. It's kind of like, I'm not really a racist, but <laughs> whatever's coming next is not good. But he said, you're, you're feeding them homeless, but they're, almost all of them are, are, are fat. Guys, obesity is one of the most complex issues on the planet, and it is far more complex than you can ever imagine, so stop that. But I looked at him, and I said, what food do they have access to? He goes, what do you mean? I said, let's take a drive. And so after, we took a drive in ever-increasing blocks to find there are no grocery stores with produce. There, and produce is expensive. It, it, you know, getting That stuff's expensive. What we hit, first things we hit were finally Burger King, McDonald's. I said, now let's go inside. And, and he said, no, you don't really need to go inside. I know the menu. I said, fair enough. I said, what, what is, uh, what's the big draw on the cheap stuff? And he goes, the dollar menu. I don't know if it's a dollar menu anymore or not, but he goes, there's a dollar menu. And I said, you know why it's a dollar? It's because fat is cheap. And this is the food they have access to. And they have no money. And so when they have money, they've got to fill their bodies with stuff that does this. It's not, you need to understand their situation is not your situation. And that is true, by the way, about everybody that you're going to meet this week. Everybody you're going to interact with on Facebook or Twitter. And by the way, I, I kind of like that. Hey, we're better than Facebook. Thing there. That, that was pretty cool there, Dave. Yeah, it took them six hours. Anyway, <clears throat> but see, God doesn't love Facebook as much as he loves us, obviously. Because we're Pharisees and we, pre- we please him. We are... We're, we're going to interact with people on Facebook and Twitter and the like. You don't know their situation. You don't know their background. This week, on the Monday morning message, last week rather, was the first in a series of four so far, but with a, some of the stuff coming in, I may have to go another few weeks. Within hours, I received comments on YouTube and Facebook and in my uh, email that I was a, uh, a liberal, a deceiver, that I had opened my mind so much, my, uh, opened my mind so much, my brain fell out, that I was undoing everything which Jesus came to do. Uh, people are really attached to their hell. And to shake that attachment a bit, it's frightening. I tried to be gentle. I said, you know, guys, just make your own YouTube channel and make your arguments. It kept coming back at me. People say, why don't you engage? Well, for some people, it's what they want. It makes them feel important. But the, the main reason is because I don't know their situation. I don't know where they are. I don't know what they've been taught. And had there been social media when I was 25 or so, I probably would have been them. Actually, no, I wouldn't have put it up there. I always seethe against people in private, which is not better. I hope you understand. I don't know your situation either. We need to understand sometimes Jesus said change your life and other times he did not. And that 
tells us more about the heart of God and about how we should be kind to the people we meet than anything Jesus could have said. It was what he didn't say that changed everything and always will. Let's have a prayer and then we'll come back and do a couple of more songs and have a closing prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the words Jesus said and we are equally grateful for those he did not. We pray that you would help us to form our speech and eventually our hearts to be more like Jesus. In fact, Father, at our safe harbor, we ask you this. We don't consider this a dangerous prayer. We don't consider this a challenge because we know whatever you, however you answer us, you, you will do so kindly. You will do so in grace. This is what we ask. May every day when we open our eyes, may we be less like us and more like him, inside and out. And when people see our faces and the way we look at them, may they see the way Jesus looks at them. We have a long way to go, Father. We are fallen, judgmental, little bags of fluid and anger. But we pray that your spirit will redeem us one inch at a time, one thought at a time, one word at a time. Teach us to speak the words of God and teach us to be silent when he would be silent. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And amen.